If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 2. We are in week 5 of our study of this minor prophet. Remember, he is minor not in the sense of he's less important than the other prophets. He's minor in the sense of his book is small or smaller than Isaiah or Jeremiah. To the contrary, Zechariah's message is one of great importance, not just for the original Jews, the original Israelites who heard it in the 6th century in their context, but for Washingtonians here in Edmonds in 2022. If you weren't here last week, last week we looked at vision number two. Much of the first half of Zechariah's book is comprised of one vision, which is really eight visions bunched up together. We don't know, again, if it was one night or a series of nights, but we looked at vision two of this eightfold vision. It's a vision of God's presence. And we looked at how vision two specifically taught us and reminded us that God's presence brings justice to the nations. God's presence is a presence that is alive and well in us, the church, His people, through Jesus. And it's a presence of the coming kingdom. As we shine His light, as we carry His aroma, as we are His workmanship, His craftsmen, remember, serving in ordinary means with ordinary faithfulness. I hope you were encouraged by that vision This morning we turn to vision number three, which I want you to see right out of the gate is very closely related to vision number two. I told you last week I was planning on preaching them together, but it didn't happen. I didn't get there. In fact, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew verse divisions, which uh, the chapter and verse divisions in your English translations as well as in the Hebrew Bible, they're not inspired divisions, therefore our benefit added later. But in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 2 actually begins in verse 18 of chapter 1. That's where the division occurs, almost as if they wanted to keep those two visions together. And remember, these visions are built upon this verse. I read this verse to you last week. Verse 16 of chapter 1 in Zechariah 1. It says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. And so last week I titled the sermon, In Our Midst, to focus on the fact that this is about God's presence, this is about God's return, this is about God's dwelling, and the title of today's sermon is the same, In Our Midst, because it's the Lord's presence that is prominent, it's the Lord's presence that is promised. And so I want you to listen for it. Listen for in your midst, in our midst in these verses. So Zechariah chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. If you are able, it is our tradition here at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Stand with me and follow along as I read Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 through 13. And I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. 
And then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him, and he said to him, run, say to that man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages, without walls, because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be My people, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent Me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as His portion in all the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Many of you sitting in this room, perhaps some of those watching online, have been to our home. Sorry if you haven't. Hopefully we'll get you there over over there sometime. But many of you have been to our home. We bought it back in 2016, just north of here where we worship, and it has served our family well. When Ann and I, my wife, we first looked at our home, we frankly, we didn't think all that much of it. It was in desperate need of updating, and we didn't know if it was going to be big enough for our family at the time. But Ann and I both remember, as we came to this open house, as we walked into this home, we both remember distinctly stepping out of the back door of our house onto the deck and looking east of our backyard, what is now our backyard. We look east and we see these huge evergreens and all of this open space that that lies adjacent to our property. No neighbors to look into your backyard from their master bedroom. It was private, and it was open, and it was quiet. Well, since that day, ever since that day, and especially in this market, I have been wary of one thing. I've been wary of coming home from the office and seeing those guys in their stinking orange vests with their tripods and their little thingies on the tripods trampsing around in my woods adjacent to my property. You see, surveyors and the property right next to my house is bad news for me. But for God's people, surveyors in their city is great news. A man 
with a measuring line. It's great news because it means that the rebuilding is beginning. Why? Because the Lord has returned to His people. And His commitment is to dwell in their midst. You see, we've already spoken about the fact that at the heart of this book, at the heart of this vision of Zechariah, is a building project, a construction project, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and specifically the rebuilding of the temple. Jerusalem, this capital city established by David long ago, Israel's famous king, it wasn't just the capital, it was home to the Ark of the Covenant in the 10th century. It was home to Solomon's majestic temple. And therefore, it was the central place of God's worship and the central place of God's presence. And so more than what we just talked about last week, God's presence comes to judge. More than that, God's presence comes to dwell, to be with His people. And that's what this vision is all about. However, as we come to this vision, vision number 3, the actions that we see being played out in the vision itself, those actions are inadequate. Let me explain. There's two realities. Two realities about God's presence that I want us to meditate on as we work through this passage. Remember last week, point number one was God's presence brings justice. This is point number two of that extended sermon. But it's point number one today, God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes everything. You see, God's vision for Jerusalem revealed to His servant Zechariah and His people, God's vision ultimately for His people, not just Jerusalem the city, but this temple city, is bigger and better than they could imagine. And it trumps all prior conceptions of what it was. You see, as Zechariah is shown this surveyor, this man with a measuring line, he also sees this, this crazy scene unfold among these angels. The angel who talked with him, who kind of is narrating another angel who appears. It's the same scene I envision in my head when I come home and I see those surveyors in my woods. Run! Run! Get that guy! Tell him he doesn't need to do that! He doesn't need to be in there! He doesn't need to be measuring! That's essentially what the angel says. Right, This man who's measuring was pursuing what was, what he thinks God's people need moving forward. But Yahweh's got something better, something bigger in store. He doesn't need for Jerusalem to be measured. He doesn't need Jerusalem to be measured for two reasons. One, the swelling of the population will mean that the city won't be able to contain all the people. Like a village which didn't have any walls, so the city of Jerusalem will welcome so many people and so many livestock and so much prosperity that there will be no need for walls. So don't measure. There's no need. 
Indeed, this was the picture that the prophets had painted. Isaiah 49, verses 19 and 20 says this, Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, This place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then again in Ezekiel 36, thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So here sit God's people in the 6th century among a wasted city. You think a surveyor with a measuring line would be good news, and it is good news, but it's not needed because the vision is bigger and the vision is bigger. Oh, how these people needed to hear this. What an encouragement. This little remnant that had returned, what an encouragement that their numbers are going to swell to innumerable amounts. It's the first reason it doesn't need walls, but there's a second The city has no need of walls because Yahweh will be the glory in their midst. Verse 5. He will serve as their protection, which is what ancient walls were for, right? To protect a city. But no, Yahweh will be a wall of fire around her. What an image. What an image, but where does it come from? Well, interestingly enough, it's one that would have been familiar in some way to those who originally heard these words. Because there was ancient Persian city, a royal Persian city that had been built by Cyrus, predecessor to Darius, who now reigns during Zechariah's prophecy. And it was a city without walls. Instead, history records... Altars of fire, inside and out, symbolize the presence of their God, Ahura Mazda. So in some way, in this ancient context, Yahweh as fire all around made sense. But but God's people knew Ahura Mazda was powerless. He wasn't a true God. He wasn't a real God. The altars to him were useless. But if Yahweh was in their midst, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, then all would be well. They need not fear. Psalm 125, verse 2. The psalmist rejoices, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. You see, with God's presence, there is no vulnerability to the city without walls. If the Lord's in their midst, there's nothing to fear. God's presence changes everything. But not only that, This imagery is reminiscent of a couple things in the life of God's people, isn't it? I mean, think about the Exodus where Yahweh led His people with a pillar of fire. But even more pointedly, think about the fire that kept humanity from God's presence outside of Eden. You see, this is not just a reversal of the exile 
This is a reversal of the curse. Listen to Genesis 3.24, right after the fall of mankind and the pronouncement of God's curse. We read, he drove out the man at the east end of the garden. He placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned away everyone to guard the way to the tree of life. So fire had kept them away. Now it's fire that keeps them safe. You see, it's this, at least in part, that drives us to see that there's so much more in this vision. Yahweh is not just reversing the exile. He is reversing the curse of the fall. Yahweh is not just speaking to Jews in the 6th century. He is speaking to His people across the ages. Because here's the thing. The walls that the angel is saying are unnecessary. They will get built. We know that. We, we studied Nehemiah years ago. The walls will get built. So this passage is ultimately speaking about something beyond Nehemiah. It's pointing to a better city. A heavenly city. The one Abraham looked to by faith. Hebrews 11.10 For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 12.22 You have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, God's presence that changes everything has come in the person of Jesus Christ. In the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit, in the influence of His church in the world, and in the certain promises of fullness that are still to come. The prosperous populace has come because Jesus has opened the door for the God of Israel to be God of all peoples through the cross of Jesus. He's torn down the veil that separated us from God's presence, and He's torn down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. This is a return to the fellowship of Eden. His people, it says, are the apple of His eye. He loves them. He loves us. He loves you, and He is committed to you. And this was always God's vision. God's vision was always for the nations. He promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to all peoples, to peoples of every tribe and tongue and nation. It was foreshadowed again at Pentecost, and as Jesus' followers became his witnesses, they witnessed not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here we sit in Edmonds, Washington in 2022. And this is what the Lord wants His people to see. Because this temple city, with God in their midst, with no walls needed, It's a city that will indeed swallow the entire earth. You and I are citizens. Revelation 21, listen to this vision of glory to come. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it light and its lamp is the lamb and its gates will never be shut by day for there will be no night there. God's vision that he gave to his people, that he gives to us today, this vision of what is to come was meant to invigorate his people in the 6th century. It is meant to invigorate us as well. Jesus' presence changes everything. In a world of depressing headlines, in a world of war and violence, in a world of hurt and pain, in a world that's trajectory seems so off, increasingly so, this is good news. And it leads us to the second point that's presented in the second half of this vision, verses 6 to 13. See, the vision is over. At least this section of the vision is over. Now an exhortation is is in order. And the question is, how will we respond? How will you respond to what you've seen? And the point is this. God's presence demands a response. God's presence changes everything, but God's presence then demands a response. And maybe demand is too harsh of a word. Maybe you don't like that word. Maybe you'd prefer if I say invite. God invites a response from what you've seen. But when my kids crawled on top of the swing set precariously, I wouldn't invite them to come down. I would say to them, get down from there. Quickly, come down. And that's the kind of tone that we hear in this passage right out of the gate. There are three possible responses to this vision of God's presence changing everything, of God's presence coming in power. Let's start with the last response. Verse 13, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. See, these words, they mirror the psalmist's words, don't they? Be still and know that I am God. It mirrors Job, who put his hand over his mouth at the revelation of Yahweh. You see, confronted with a vision such as this, confronted with a God such as this, all flesh ought to be moved to reverence and awe. Be silent. What do you want me to do? What is my response? Revelation 8.1 When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half of an hour. It's a crazy verse. Silence. 
The God of Israel is not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God to be ignored or to be talked back to. He's a God to be listened to and followed. And that leads us to the second exhortation. I really think all three of these responses need to be part of our response, not just one. We begin with silence, with reverence and awe, and that leads us to verse 5 where it says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. You see, here the Lord speaks specifically to those exiles who have not returned from exile. They are still in a foreign land. They have not come back to Zion. They have not come back to Jerusalem. And he says, come back because judgment is coming. The nation in which you live is doomed. There is nothing for you there. There is no future for you there. And we say, wait a second. Babylon, I thought Babylon was defeated. Yes, Babylon has been defeated. Historically, they are out of the picture now. So why is he saying Babylon? It's because Babylon had become and will continue to be a descriptor for all who are opposed to God and His ways. And yet God's people, at least some of God's people, had found themselves comfortable in Babylon. Babylon's got so much to offer. You want me to go back to Zion where there's rubble and ruins? You see, for those who hear this admonition today, it sets up for us two kingdoms in conflict. Babylon or Jerusalem, the city of man or the city of God, the flesh or the spirit, the way of the world or the way of Christ. And as this word comes to us today from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's saying, get out of Babylon. We who know the Lord Jesus, who've been called by Him, we are His chosen people. We are His church. We have been set apart, characterized by another world, another place, another agenda, different priorities. And so we are, in a sense, resident aliens here in Babylon. And yet we recognize, as we've confessed, how easy it is to just be another Babylonian. This is all of us to some degree. I don't know how this manifests in your life. I know how it manifests itself in my life. But I think we all, in whatever way, need to be awoken, shaken out of our idolatry of the frivolous things of this world and jolted into remembering that this is not your home. There is no future here. Lift your eyes to another place. Make sure your priorities are set for that other place. We need to let God's vision recapture our hearts and invigorate our lives. God is not withholding from us. I'm not saying don't enjoy the good gifts that God has given to earth and live like some aesthetic monk. No. God's not withholding. He is for our joy, but it must be joy that comes in Him. Life is more than a paycheck, right? Life is more than making a name for ourselves. Life 
is about him. It's about his presence, about his fellowship. And then finally, one response demanded. Verse 10, sing, rejoice, worship, O daughter of Zion. This is spoken pointedly to those who have returned, those who are in Zion, those who are struggling And those who are invigorated by this very vision, God has come and is coming again. He will not forsake us. He will never forsake us. And so to quote the Apostle Paul, take heart. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. His presence changes everything. Don't let yourself be unchanged. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning once again for this vivid picture, this vivid vision that you gave your servant, that you gave us here this morning. And I pray that we would go from this place not hanging our heads, but holding them high not discouraged, but invigorated for the promises that are to come, for the promises that are here today, the promises that are ours in Jesus. And I pray for grace for myself and for all those who hear these words that we might walk with this hope, that we might walk with this joy, that we indeed would flee from Babylon, wherever we are dipping our toes into Babylon, may we flee that place, recognizing that there is no future, there is no joy there. Lord God, all of this is ours because of Jesus, the one whom you've sent, the one who is our Savior, because of the height and the breadth and the length And the depth of His love for us. Indeed, a love that cannot be measured just like the Jerusalem that is to come cannot be measured. Oh, may that fill us to overflowing this day, I pray. In Jesus' great name, amen.